<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Straight ahead on The Insiders with one of Iowa's most prominent attorneys and donors. Now beside her, Amy Klobuchar now tries to build momentum as we head toward the February caucuses. We'll talk about how she will try to get activists behind her when it comes to health care, education, and more. Plus, you hear and see these polls coming out all the time, it seems like. Well, this week we'll get an inside look at a new one that shows the challenge President Trump will face if he wants to hold on to his support in this state. And in the Insider's Quick Six, small town success. So many concerns about what is not going right in smaller communities, but what can succeed there off the farm. Welcome to the Insiders. This Democratic presidential campaign season just got more intense this weekend. The Iowa Democratic Party's newly named Liberty and Justice Celebration packed downtown Des Moines with about 12,000 activists or so. Some of them are already committed to one of the candidates. Other ones are still trying to figure it all out. Now, if you remember, in 2018, Democrats successfully focused on health care to make some pretty huge gains in Congress. Health care is, again, a key issue for the Democratic field, and this time it separates the Democrats as they campaign forward. Minnesota Senator Amy Klobuchar joins us now. Welcome back. Thanks, Dave. It's great to be on. Hey, when we talked to you in the past, you were critical of Senator Elizabeth Warren for not saying how she'd pay for Medicare for all. So she's now done it. So now what are you thinking? Well, I'm looking at how she's proposed to pay for it, and I appreciate the intentions here. We both say, uh, share the same intentions, which is to bring down the cost of health care. And, you know, I just don't think there's a monopoly on good ideas. And my problem uh, with the Sanders-Warren proposal is this. First of all, uh, there's a, about a $10 trillion gap between what we thought it was going to cost, according to some estimates, and what she says it costs. That's over double the federal budget, so I'd start with that. But the second one is much more fundamental, and that is that on page 8 of the bill, of the Sanders-Warren Medicare for All bill, it actually says that there will be no more private insurance uh, for anyone in America, and that means 149 million people will be kicked off their current insurance. I think there is a much better way to do it, and that is with a public option. Um, that's this idea, what's what Barack Obama wanted to do from the beginning, and it's a nonprofit option, so people can choose that instead of just private insurance. They will have a choice, there will be competition, and it could be done with Medicaid or Medicare, but it means that people will buy into it, and then I believe, and a lot of studies have shown this, it'll bring the cost down overall for probably about 13 million people. Some of the funding streams of this idea for her, she's already talked about this yearly 2% tax if you have $50 million or more of assets. And now this new one she's talking about with Medicare for All, I think it's a 6% tax uh, for billionaires. Is she relying too much on taxing the super, super rich out there? I, you know, I am, a lot of my plans involved higher taxes on the wealthy. I think during the Trump but administration- not but not the middle class. And during the Trump administration, uh, you've seen a major shift toward less taxes for the wealthy. I think that's wrong. 
the thing is you do have to pass these things and they have to be grounded in reality. And that's why I like my idea better. It's paid for by going back to the tax levels during the Obama administration, um, adding a, a bit more taxes for the very wealthy, um, and then also looking at the pharmaceutical changes we have to make. I'm someone from the beginning that's been leading the fight to allow 43 million seniors to get better prices under Medicare. Um, right now, that we are locked in under law. You can't negotiate better prices. Medicaid can, the VA can, but not Medicare. I would change that immediately. I would make sure we could bring in less expensive drugs from other countries. In Minnesota, we can see Canada from our porch, and we see those less expensive drug prices of safe drugs. Those kinds of things would create pressure to bring the drug prices down. As you know from the, the lefter side of your party, uh, they're talking about Medicare for All. One of the appeals is we can finally stop that if you get sick and you don't really have coverage, you could go bankrupt. Under the way you see it, can you guarantee that that won't happen anymore to families? Uh if you expand the Affordable Care Act, that was the whole idea, and make sure that Medicaid stays strong. I'm strongly opposed to what the Republicans have done here in Iowa, which was to privatize Medicaid. And if you make sure Medicaid uh, stays strong, then no, you shouldn't be going bankrupt if we do this right. Um, and I think the biggest problem we have right now is the pharmaceutical companies own Washington. Uh, there's a lot of business interests that have been able to influence the Trump administration, so they're sabotaging the Affordable Care Act, and I think we can do so much better. And one of the cases I'm making uh, this weekend uh, to Iowa Democrats, but beyond that to independents and moderate Republicans, is that I don't want to be the president for half of America. I want to be the president for all of America. And that's going to mean bringing in on the health care issue, on the college affordability issue, um, on uh, foreign relations to bring some sanity back to our policies, um, and infrastructure, and what we need to do here in Iowa with the agricultural communities. I'm so strong on the uh, working with Senator Grassley, actually, on the renewable fuel standard on making sure that we're looking out for everyone and bringing people with us so we don't just win, we win big in this election because so many Americans don't like what's happening right now in Washington. We'll actually hear from Senator Grassley. Uh, we need to take a break here and we want to talk about a topic that uh, the Senator hasn't talked a lot about on the debate stage because they don't talk about it very much and that's education. So when we come back, we want to talk about paying for education for students, for teachers, what happens when you get to college, a bunch of that stuff. We'll do that next. The laws in this state are different, so we don't see teachers in Iowa striking, striking like they have been in Chicago as they are demanding more resources devoted to education. Districts have been dealing with whether to pay teachers more to attract more people into the business, how to pay the overall bills when states like Iowa have shrunk that guaranteed per pupil yearly increase. And of course, students and families have been forced to pay a higher share of the cost of college. Let's bring back in Senator Klobuchar. Hey, let's go Let's go into the past. When you graduated college, mm -hmm. did you have debt? Um, I had a little, yes. I actually took out some loans, a um, few thousand dollars of loans. And back then it was a lot cheaper. Um, we were clearly in the middle class. I remember going with my dad to the financial aid office and they said to him, sir, you're caught in the middle class crunch. And he had his hands in his kind of brown polyester pants and you could feel the coins, like you could hear them going back and forth. So I know that feeling, um, and um, when I met my husband, he had tons of student loans. I married him anyway, but uh, this is a really serious matter for a lot of people uh, who come from regular backgrounds. And for me, you know, my grandpa didn't get to graduate from high school. He was a minor, and he saved money in a coffee can 
to send my dad to a two-year community college. Um, then he got a four-year degree at U of M, and my mom grew up poor and ended up um, moving to Minnesota and taught second grade until she was 70. And so that's my background. So I come at it with a strong uh, public school background, uh, believing uh, that we need to make our schools work for everyone. That means to me making sure our teachers are being paid so we get uh, the best teachers and we have incentives for people to stay teaching. That's why part of my plan is that. Um, and that we don't just end there. So many of our kids are graduating or even not graduating, but are unable to get the jobs that allow them to support families. So this is what I, I would connect the economic imperatives we have, the job openings we have right now with the educations our kids are getting. For the students who are already out of college, um, mm -hmm. you're not one of those who are pushing wipe away all your debt and have the federal government pick up the tab here. What do you offer those? First folks? of all, allowing them to refinance. I figure if multimillionaires can refinance their yachts, students should be able to refinance their loans. And then the other piece of it is for those people that will go into those in-demand occupations. It's everything from plumbers to electricians to doctors to nurses. If they do that, then you get your loans paid back over a certain amount of time. It's a way to help everyone with the refinancing, but then specifically say, if you want to fill these jobs in Iowa that we have right now, and we have a lot of them, um, especially in rural towns, then we're going to help you pay back your loans. I think that's a more sensible way to do it, and it's my same idea for college. Make those one- and two-year degrees free because we're going to have 78,000 openings for electricians in the next 10 years. But you're only the seeing the beginning, though, right? You're not saying the full four. No, I'm not, because what I do with those is double the Pell Grants. A lot of kids in Iowa, uh, they rely on those. And to go from 6000 a year to 12000 a year and then say, hey, families, not just $50,000 a year families, but ones making up to 100000 can get those grants, that's going to make a difference. Instead of using public money, to pay rich kids to go to college. That's what these proposals do. It's like saying, oh, Mark Zuckerberg, if your kids go to a public college, uh, we're going to make that free for you. That makes no sense to me. All right. If you can hang on here, we'll come back to you for the quick six at the end oh, of the I'm show. Oh, I'm excited for that. I Thanks, so. Dave. All right. When we come back here, we want to take a little deeper look at how the economy could help President Trump become a two-term president, but also how immigration and the view of him as a potential role model could hurt his efforts. We'll look at those numbers next. Check the calendar here. One year from today is the presidential election of 2020. So we have a little status check on where things are right now. There's a new national poll from Grinnell College. It shows that President Trump is less popular than he was a year ago across our country. He's the most popular on issues when it comes to the economy and the least popular when it comes to the traditional view that a president should serve as a role model. Let's get a deeper look at the meaning behind these numbers. Peter Hansen's an associate professor of political scientist at Grinnell College. He's also the director of this Grinnell College national poll. Thanks for coming back here. Thanks. It's great to be here. All right. This conversation is going to be serious because you brought your laptop. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's look at the favorability numbers when you're talking about the president. As you look at your numbers, there is a 42 percent favorability rating. And if you start looking at these numbers, when you compare them to last year, the president's going in the wrong direction. So what do you say to you? Well, that's right. Um, but of course, in some ways, there's a lot of stability here. You know, the movement we're seeing is really in a very narrow range. Um, and so in a lot of ways, I think public opinion is kind of calcified. Uh, the president's always been hovering right in the 40s in terms of his approval. 
Uh, his disapproval approval of course is higher. We're measuring it at around 50% here. Uh, so that's a tough position to be in as we head into the 2020 race. But it is, he's not real, for, you know, in this case, we're looking at 5%. For the most part, if you like the guy in 16, you still do and vice versa, right? That's right. Uh, so in fact, we show that among Republicans, opinion of the president has generally grown more favorable. It's among Democrats and independents uh, where we see movement the other direction. Now, of course, it's no surprise that Democrats uh, sure. aren't fans of the president. Uh, but what's really noteworthy is that over 50% of uh, independents in this poll, in fact, I think 60% say their views of him have grown more unfavorable. And in, an un in a purple state like Iowa, that could be troubling for him in 2020. Well, absolutely. Depending on the Democratic nominee, of course. That's right. I mean, the, the president really has a very narrow path to re-election. Um, so one of the questions uh, that we asked in this poll and that we've asked previously is, uh, would you definitely vote to re-elect the president? And here only 38% of people said yes. Now that compares to 47% who say they would definitely vote for someone else. So just as we head into the race, uh, the president's uh, around 10 points down in, uh, in uh, that category. So that's a really tough number for them. Let's look at these job approval numbers. And I should mention you all did 1,003 adults age 18 and over as you were putting this together. Margin of error, overall 3.1% margin of error based on likely voters for 2020, 3.5%. So statistically, you start getting to a very good sample here. As you look at these job approval numbers, what do these things say to you? Well, we asked about the president's approval in a variety of respects. So we asked about his approval on the economy, um, his approval on his immigration policies, his approval on uh, handling trade negotiations with China. Um, and, and the economy, that's where he does the best. That's right. So the president uh, does well on the economy. 50% of Americans approve of his conduct on the economy. Now, here's what's interesting. You know, historically, presidents who govern over periods of economic growth tend to win re-election. Right. So we've got 50% of Americans say they approve of the job he's doing on the economy, but only 38% say they would definitely vote to reelect him. Now that's so there's a kind of a disconnect. There is a disconnect there, and I think it, it would be a troubling one for the Trump campaign because it's a signal that they are not benefiting from the strong economy. What about the immigration numbers there? Because that was such a big part of his campaign. It's been a big part of his time in office, but just 40% of people approve of how he's handling that. That's right. Uh, I think that's a really telling number. You know, one of the things I think it says to us is that when the president talks about immigration, he is only speaking to a slice of the electorate. Now, if you watch the news, you read the newspaper, you might think we are in a period of extreme anti-immigrant sentiment. It's just not the case. We've asked about immigration in every poll that we've done. And what we find is that the American public is overwhelmingly supportive of legal immigration to the United States. And in fact, in this poll, um, majority of Americans say that immigrants benefit American culture and benefit the American economy. But you mentioned legal immigration, and that's where the separation is here, right? Right. So the question is, how do Americans feel about immigration overall? Now, clearly, we're a country of immigrants, and Americans are proud of that. They think immigration is beneficial. All right, I want to throw one more set of numbers here, and that's when you're talking about the traditional view, I think, Democrat, Republican, whatever it is, is that for the most part, we look at the president of the United States as a role model. That's here, right. right. These are some of the president's worst numbers. That's right. Uh, well, only a minority of Americans think that the president is an effective role model. And I think this is really sort of symbolizes um, why the president is unable to take advantage of those strong economic numbers. It's because there's the rest of these troubles 
uh, that attend along with his administration. Personal conduct that people find objectionable, attacking the patriotism um, of Gold Star uh, families. Um, you know, this is the sort of conduct that really troubles Americans. And this constant swirl of that kind of negative news coming out of this administration, I think, it makes it very hard um, for the president to get the kind of credit he might otherwise would for the economy. He has a new ad out that started in our state and a few other places here where they almost embrace this. They say, yeah, he's not necessarily Mr. Nice Guy, but maybe that's not what we need right now. We need somebody who's not necessarily nice. Well, I think clearly, uh, you know, there's a portion of the Republican base that really likes that. Right. I mean, that's why they chose to support him in the first place. Uh, the question is, is that enough to win him the election? That's what we'll find out. All right, Peter Hanson, appreciate the look into these. Thank you. Good to be here. All right, when we come back here, Republican Senator Chuck Grassley has largely stood behind the president since he's been in office. Up next, we want to listen to how he talks through how Democrats are looking at investigating the president. We'll listen to that next. Now that the House Democrats have formalized that impeachment inquiry into whether President Donald Trump held up $400 million in U.S. aid until the president of Ukraine agreed to investigate one of his Democratic rivals, Joe Biden, and his son Hunter, they are getting a little bit of praise from Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley. The senator told me that he supports their move to make this more of a public process, but he still doubts the president has committed an impeachable offense. I've had to answer that question for the last uh, uh, two or three weeks. Uh, now, with the House voting as they should, uh, I think it's the right thing to do. I, don't, I haven't heard anything that's basis for impeachment yet because the Constitution's pretty clear. It's for treason, bribery, uh, high crimes, and other misdemeanors. Uh, I haven't heard the president be guilty of any of that yet. But now they're doing it the way it's been done in the Nixon impeachment. They're doing it now in the way it was done in the Clinton impeachment. Nixon was a Democrat House. Uh, in the case of Clinton, it was a Republican House. Now it's back to a Democrat House. Uh, they're doing it in a way that's uh, going to be uh, transparent to the public. And when you're trying to undo the election of 63 million people, voting for Trump, it ought to be done in the open. The public's business ought to be public, and particularly in the case of impeachment, following the procedures of Clinton and Nixon impeachment. So I think they're doing the right thing. Uh, I, uh, they just seem to be going down rabbit hole after rabbit hole. All right, when you commit to Iowa as a candidate, what does that mean? And what makes a person qualified to lead this country? They are all next as Senator Klobuchar returns for the Insider's Quick Six. Back for the Insider's Quick Six with the Senator. Question one, will the president be impeached? Um, I believe it's very important this proceeding goes forward and um, I think that will be the outcome but again they're going to have to look at the evidence and make a decision. Uh, Senator Kamala Harris has kind of committed to Iowa in a different way in October. She was here more than any of the rest of you. Does that mean she is more committed to this state <laughs> than you are? Oh I've been going to this state for a long long time Dave. But you never uh, said you were effing fact, moving here. <laughs> 
No, because I've come here so often. Um, this is my 22nd visit to Iowa since the presidential campaign. And I have spoken at numerous dinners, have 10 offices open here, and am very, very committed to the state of Iowa. All right, we got one minute left. Uh, is Pete Buttigieg ready to be president since he's only been a small town mayor of 100,000 people? I think all of our candidates would be a pres better president than President Trump. About a decade ago, you once backed civil unions, not full-on marriage equality. Now you have. What changed you? Um, I, for a very long time, have been for marriage equality. And I think that what's most important is that people have the right uh, to marry the person they love. And I'm so pleased that that's changed. Uh, question five, what is something that you have seen in rural America, a smaller town that has worked, that can be a model elsewhere? I think what's worked is that people actually talk to each other and they get to know each other uh, and they work together. And I've been really pleased at how uh, a lot of our rural areas have been able to build economies and understand that you want to bring people in and they keep working on it. It's very important. Okay, finally, your prediction. My prediction is, I know there's a lot of Chiefs and Packers fans in Iowa, but remember, this is, there's one team that has not ever won the Super Bowl of that group of three, and that would be the Minnesota Vikings. My dad once wrote a book, Will the Vikings Ever Win the Super Bowl? It was in the early 80s. Sadly, it is still relevant today. So I predict the Vikings can finally do it. Purple pride. Thank you. Appreciate <laughs> it. Safe travels. Thank you. Let's stay connected throughout the week. We'll see you next week.